or God. She didn't even know what she needed. She knew she needed God and she needed change. And so she goes, well, baptism's it. So Shan led her to Jesus. Then she got baptized. This week they were in her life group, and it's just exciting ministry going on in discipleship. So life is happening in the life groups, and that's what's supposed to happen. One of the things that was part of last week uh, was honoring um, Pastor Jeff and restoring him. Pastor Jeff is back from vacation, as you didn't notice. And honoring and, and uh, blessing Pastor Jeff, I want to thank you all. You did. You did a wonderful job. And Pastor Jeff, you would come. And, and uh, how, how many miles did you drive on your... 3,800 miles. <laughs> Actually, you know, for guys like me, it's not about. We drove 3,805. <laughs> we know exactly... And you probably know how many hours you sat in the car. Exactly. 99 hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, I've got one of those things on my dash that tell me that. That's a lot of seat time right there. And, and, and we were talking about that this morning. The drive, if you drove straight to where they went and came back, is about 1,200 miles each way, mm-hmm. which is 2,400 miles. So they took another 1,400 miles of this. That was a, that was not even with a motorhome. It was just. A car. <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, I just want to thank everyone who who pulled together and and did and bless Pastor Jeff and and you were blessed. Is that right? Am I supposed to open this? Even open. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Listen, thank you. I this was not something I knew about. Uh, going out of town. Thank you. It's, an, uh, it's a financial thing. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll all want to. Be great. I tell you what's in here. You'll all want me to take you to lunch or something. <laughs> oh, thank you very, very much. Oh, okay. I feel like a guest speaker. And uh, I actually have been nervous today about being here. Uh, I wonder if they'll let me come back. I did write a few. Uh, this is really amazing. There was, I wonder what was going on there. We feel very, very cared for, uh, somewhat rested, but much vacationed. That's for sure. You know, uh, we drove California, Oregon, and Washington. We made it to Seattle. Um, we saw our adult children. Some of you don't know who they are, but most of you do. We saw Jonathan and Kelsey and, and the newest little grand boy, Jet. And then we went on from there. We got to stay with Tim and Janina, uh, our daughter and son-in-law in Seattle. Actually, Auburn, if you know your way around up there. Uh, along the way, we saw a couple of nephews and their families and a set of in-laws, which are nearly outlaws, but we're working on it. <laughs> We did see the Taylors, and uh, we got to see Peggy's sister, too. So we got a lot of people involved. We visited, which is rare for me. I've, I only know one church, and this is it. I rarely get to go to another church. So we got to go to Overcomer Church, and in, in, it's in Auburn, Kent, uh, in that area, Seattle area, where it's Janina. Is, uh, Janina and Tim are both on the worship team there, and it's pretty exciting. We put them up here one morning before church started. 
stream their services live on the internet. But it was very comforting to me to see Janina where she's supposed to be. And I've had it in my heart and mind for a long time that she needed to be kind of like in the middle of worship, married to Tim, and he was over here on the side playing the synth that morning. He plays trumpet, he plays flugelhorn, he's very talented and very versatile. Um, and interesting how it worked out. They tell their worship team what to wear every week because it's on the internet and you can't wear things like what I'm wearing or what you're wearing because it causes funny lines on the internet view. So they call everybody and say today we're wearing green or today we're in black or whatever. So it turned out that the two other girls who were on the worship team both wore green tops and Janina wore black. So they looked at it and said, hmm, color-wise Janina belongs in the middle. And so I got to sit there and look at Janina being in the middle, leading worship right where she's supposed to be. And her husband right on the side, playing away. And it was really, that was really a high point for us at Overcomer Church. Got to meet Pastor Gordon Banks. We used to play for a number of football teams. I think, you, do you know that guy? Pastor Gordon Banks. Gordon Banks used to be a wide receiver. Is that his name, Gordon Banks? He's a pastor now. He used to be a football player. He played for Seattle at some point. One of those teams up there. I think he played for the Dallas Cowboys for a while. And now he's preaching the gospel, and we got a great church going there. We uh, also got to be in church. Um, it was so impressive, I can't remember where I was. Where was I? No, I didn't go to that church. Monterey Church, thank you. Um, which is in the Golden State Theater in downtown Monterey. It's real historic. As soon as you walk in the building, there's two things you notice. One is it smells like it's 150 years old. I mean, it's just got that smell like you just walked into an antique building. They're all ornate. And, and the second thing I noticed is that their carpet looked a lot like ours, <laughs> which tells me something. Mount Rainier was visible. I'd been to Seattle one other time in my life, and they kept telling me there was a mountain out there. I never saw it. Even flying in, flying out, never saw it. I said, it's a hoax. There's no such thing as Mount Rainier. But it was clearly visible the whole time. We took the big bear weather with us, and it was. Uh, it didn't rain once until we left. They called us to ask us to come back. <laughs> Could you come back? Yeah. Saw the entire coast of Oregon again. We've done that before from the Astoria Column. Anybody ever seen the Astoria Column? Know what it is? Anybody? It's, uh, you got to go look for it, but I won't bore you with vacation details. Let it, let it just be said that it looks like a lighthouse on top of the hill in Astoria, Oregon. It's got 164 steps to the top, and I made it up there. But I got to tell you, somewhere around 130 steps, it was real claustrophobic. <laughs> It was. The air is stale, and you're in this tube, and you're thinking, do I go up or do I go down? You know, So it was pretty exciting for me. I pictures of that stuff. So we saw the coast. We uh, made it down to Ventura Harbor. That's where we hung out with the Taylors. And uh, when we did get home, now this kind of helps me put it together. When I came home, there was a box, a gift on our table. And it had a little ribbon around it, and I walked by. I thought I needed to move it because we were putting some other stuff there. And I grabbed it and went, and it just wouldn't lift. And so I grabbed it again. I hauled it over. I said, man, what is in here? And evidently it's connected to this blessing that you're giving us. It was a shoebox full of coins. And it weighs a ton. 
And so, but it was just a signal that somebody cares about you and somebody loves you. I don't know if it's been said openly, but I'll say it uh, so you'll know. Why would they give me extra money? Why would you take up an offering for me? Was that explained a little bit? We elected at the beginning of the year to, to work on about 30% of our salary for this year so that the church wouldn't have to be giving us much and have the rest for keeping things working here. So we appreciate the blessing. We're, God's been taking good care of us, and, and uh, we're like everybody else in America, going into a little more debt than we can handle in, in the process. But we believe it was the will of God, and he has a plan, and evidently you've just become part of that plan for us this morning. Um, after giving your vocal cords three weeks off, don't expect me to yell very much. <laughs> you have to build up those calluses again, just like the guitar players work on their fingertips. You can turn with me to the Gospel of John if you'd like. I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you're willing to turn them from page to page a little bit this morning. Um, thank you for your gifts. You know, my house was cared for. Our garden was watered. Uh, I found out Ed snuck in there in a hailstorm and mowed my grass. Thank you. I understand you almost died in the process from the hailstorm. You I heard he abandoned the mower and ran away. I, I learned that because it was my brother's mower. He said he left it out there in the hill store. Oh. A lot happened while we were gone, huh? Even the Pastor Rob and his family were camping, and Matthew decided to throw in an appendectomy just for good measure. We're going to swap scars later. You know, we've never been away for more than for three weeks. I don't think ever in our whole career of pastoring. It was odd. I was ready to be back. I need to be here. And then when I drive into town, I feel it. I feel it come back like it rests. And some of it's not as, I'm not as willing to have it. <laughs> but things happen when you're gone. We lost a good friend, Cheryl Hightower, while we were on that motorcycle wreck. And, you know, things, but other people are getting saved and coming into the Lord and being baptized, and, and the kingdom of God is advancing nonetheless. Um, good news of salvation, you know, painting things and things change. Anybody nervous about the paint? Make anybody nervous? Change? No? I like the blinds. Glad for those. It's good. So I'll be leaving for another three weeks and see what else we can get done. <laughs> really proud of the youth and all the work they got done and the, and the uh, yard sale and everything. Uh, what I do when I have extended time off, no matter if it's a few days or a week, I have always do this. I've noticed about myself over the years. I go to the Gospel of John and I start over. And this time out was no exception, but I did not get far in the Gospel of John this time. I find that it's a, an introduction to the relationship with God by reading the Gospel of John. You know, John's Gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're known as the synoptic Gospels, which means they're kind of the same. And they share some of the same accounts. But when you get to the Gospel of John, his accounts of the life of Christ are limited. And he focuses in on seven miracles in the life and ministry of Jesus. But there is so much relationship in the Gospel of John about God loving us and us, how we can love him back. And I know that's what I need most. Uh, that's what we need most is a, is a tight, loving relationship with a living God. I know I've spent years pastoring and... and you can get into this place where you're trying to tell people about someone who's distant. You're sort of trying to paint a picture all the time of 
God who's way out there, and this is what he looks like. Sort of like the little kid in the classroom, first grader, second grader, and they're all been given their materials to draw a picture, and he's working real hard, drawing, drawing, and the teacher comes by and says, well, that's really good. What is that? And he says, it's a picture of God. And she says, oh, honey, nobody really knows what God looks like. He says, well, now they will. <laughs> See, that's like the Gospel of John for me. It's like, well, this if I'll read this and plug into this, I may not know what he looks like, but this will tell me who he is. And then it will bring me into relationship with him, so I'm not talking about somebody that's distant. I'm talking about the one who said to us that if we would open our hearts, as some have in the last few weeks, we would open our hearts and confess our sins and invite him to come in, he and the Father would come and take up their life in us. Right? And the, the, the apostle wrote, Christ in you is the hope of God's glory. So it's not a distant God. He's not a deist, by the way, in theology. A deist is a person who believes that God made everything and put everything in motion, you know, and pulled the string on the sun and spun the earth and made everything happen and then left. And he's left it all up to us to figure out on our own. And he's distant. That is not what the Bible teaches. But that is a deistic point of view, that he is far away. My Bible says he's closer closer than my next breath. He's intimate. He is our best friend, but he's also one to be revered and honored as God the Creator. And so when I, I like to go back to the Gospel of John, just begin to read again. And if you're newly come to Christ, as a couple of you evidently are here today, I recommend to you the Gospel of John. Don't try and start at Genesis and read the whole Bible. It's really a failure tool. Start at the Gospel of John. And read that, and then go back and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because you want to know about this Jesus who loves you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1.1. Can somebody quote that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This starts very similarly. In the beginning was the Word. We can sometimes just go right past these words and just take it real easily, real cursorily, surface. But there's so much doctrine right here in this first sentence. It tells us that Jesus is before all things. God is before everything. Nothing was there before him. Predates, if you want to use dates, but he's eternal. Dates aren't that big of a deal to him. He's not linear like you and I. We start on a certain date, and we have a little hyphen, and then our end date is put there, and it's on our headstone. He's not like that. He's everywhere all at the once. He knows everything there is to know. He's uh, with you when he's with me. He can talk in a conversation with you intimately as he can with me, independent and in different languages. He is not restrained by time or space And he is before everything. In the beginning, God created. And this says in the beginning, the Gospel of John, he's writing this, in the beginning, the Word was there. And the Word was with God. That means now there's more than one in that moment. And the Word was God. Not only was he there, but he's co-equal. 
There's huge chunks of understanding God right here in this first sentence. Before everything, he's not alone. When we talk about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is an indication of that happening before any of this ever was in existence. We start, well, I'm getting ahead of myself already. This stuff just excites me. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, let me give you a couple of other passages to back up. I hope I don't go too fast for for you in finding these and beginning to read them. But Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, and you might want to put your finger in here because we will come back to this place. It says simply, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. This is my version. What does somebody else's say? A little different perhaps. All things hold together. I, I can't get a good illustration, but what comes to mind is more of you ladies as you're building something in the kitchen. You're, you're putting together those components of a recipe and, and you get the blender going or the spoon and you begin to mix and you say, I've got it to the right consistency. That's, it's all holding together well. That's in my heart and my mind as I'm talking. And in him, everything that is, is holding together well. Because of him. Man has exalted himself so many times above God and saying, look what we've done. Look how much we know. We try to reduce God in the enlightenment. We try to reduce him down to something we could understand. We wanted to prove him scientifically. I've been asked so many times, can you prove God exists scientifically? So, well, that's your humanistic mindset that's trying to exalt itself over God, which is nothing new. Because in the very Garden of Eden, Satan came to Eve to deceive her. And what did he say? Look, if you'll just do this, you can be just like him. I can, he, the temptation wasn't to eat fruit. The temptation was to exalt self above the creator. To make the creation say, I can be equal to my creator. Sin of pride. Arrogance. A desire to be more than the one who made me. But all things in him are holding together. If he decided to not hold anymore, what would happen? I mean, I don't even think the computer graphics people could figure that one out <laughs> to show us. They're doing so much with theater and movie and scenes, but this everything would just come apart down to the smallest internal piece of the atom. It would just come apart. All things are holding together, even in the midst of men and women cursing God, saying, I have no need of him. I'll live my own way. I don't need this salvation he's provided through this son, Jesus Christ. I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that. I don't even believe in a God. And he and his love and his compassion and in his initial being before everything else, said, well, I'll just hold them together too. Because if it wasn't his will, none of us would take another breath. All this in one sentence for me, as I'm reading, no wonder I never finished the Gospel of John. <laughs> in the beginning, he was there. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. They hold together. 
as John was writing in 1 John, his introduction to the little epistles there at the end of our Bible, our New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, he said it this way. Just by introducing his little gospel, or his little epistle, excuse me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And you're looking at your Bible, it should have a capital W there, or word, because a capital is indicating the deity. Anytime there's a proper name for God indicated, in this case, in the beginning was the word, capital W. It's not just a little word. This is a deity name for God, the word of God. Jesus became that which we could see, touch, and and John's saying we handled the word. We embraced it. We ate dinner with it. It was a man. If you're flipping back to John chapter 1 in the gospel, in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. He was not a God that came to condemn the world or to injure, but to redeem and to restore and to bring us back into relationship with our Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 simply says, He was in the beginning with God. Literally, this sentence should read, instead of He, it should say this one. Some of your versions may say that. He means, literally, this one was in the beginning with God. Otherwise, it would just be a redundant statement which it is for us in the English. He was in the beginning with God. That was already said in verse 1. I thought, well, why is it here? Why should It should be different. There should be a different tone. And it is. It means this one, capital O, singular, meaning there's only one Son of God. There aren't multiple saviors. There's one. There aren't many ways to God, the Father. It's through His Son. Jesus said it for us Himself, didn't He? In, uh, where's that, John... You guys know where it's at? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He's the one. I know I've had lots of conversations over the years where people say, well, that's closed-minded. And I said, like uh, some of the comedians say, hey, I can afford to be closed-minded. I'm right. And we say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, and we don't mean to be offensive, but we can't vary from what God himself has said. And when he gave us this canon, this entire Bible, this canon of Scripture, he gave us what it says about itself. You know, the Bible interprets itself. And there's a passage that says this, that he has given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Everything necessary. We need no more than this. There is more than this, but we wouldn't need any more than this to know who God is, why he created us, why we're here, and how much he loves us. This is enough. And so when Jesus is is given to us in quote, in here, in, in as we said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me, he eliminates every other possibility. We didn't decide that. He decided that. That's why a lot of people want to reject the Bible. They don't want to confine themselves to God's method or God's love. They want to find it themselves. They're still stuck in the Garden of Eden trying to exalt themselves above their creator. Hey, I I like some parts of being on vacation. Like sitting on the coast in uh, Oregon, having a private beach. Sounds good, doesn't it? We stayed in this little motel that had its own private beach, and it was some kind of a cross between hotel and camping. Okay. (laughs) You know, it wasn't luxurious. And we were driving up the coast on our way, and I spotted this place, and I went, wow, that looks like fun. Just a little place, you know. It said, new rooms. I went, bed. You know, that means they replaced the beds last year or something. <laughs> anyway, it was a cute little spot. But on the other side of it, it had a whole chunk of coast all to itself. And a little fire pit, stairs leading down to the beach. And it's not like you're going swimming. You'd need three wetsuits in that kind of weather up there. And uh, But we had it to ourselves at some point. I went and gathered a bunch of wood. We built a bonfire and sat out there and thought, Look at this. I own all this for tonight (laughs) for a price. It's mine. Um, And I I look out at all of that, and the ocean just keeps going, right? Even while we're here this morning, it's still doing what it does. Every time I come back, it's still working. I think this has been doing this every few seconds forever. It doesn't quit. And God says, I'm the one that put the sand around it to confine it. Just before he asks, and so who do you think you are? <laughs> there are times when I really think God is Jewish. Yeah, and who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm the one that put the sand there. So that the ocean had its confines. And I sit and I see the sun setting and the clouds. And they, all he did was speak. He just spoke. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and fault among us, and we got to see Him. John says, we touched, we talked, we ate dinner with the Word. We're not telling you something we don't know personally. We're giving you individual personal testimony of somebody we've been introduced to and spent time with. You and I haven't had that same physical privilege. Now we have the privilege of being together with the body of Christ, and you and I are to represent Jesus to one another. As he lives his life out through me, you get to know him that way. As he lives his life out through you, I get to know him that way. And that's our goal is to let him live out through each one of us, trying less of us, more of him. Revelation nineteen thirteen says it this way. He was, this is talking about heaven opened. Behold, the white horse, he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And I find these other passages that simply back up what the Gospel writer is trying to tell us. Jesus was praying in John 17 that what we call that high priestly prayer just before he gave his life, before he was betrayed. John gives us this prayer of Jesus. 
in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. And by the time we have verse 5, Jesus is saying this, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was sharing the glory of the Godhead before the world existed, before the planets were here. I don't, I don't, does this do anything for you? You sit down at the beach and you look out and you go, this is just a smithering of what he's been able to accomplish by speaking by out of his power and his greatness. And Jesus says, I came, I demonstrated who you were and who we are to them. I will go to the cross and bear their sins and I'll make it possible for them to come through me, be forgiven of their sins and be restored in relationship with his father But when I come back to you, I want to be back in the glory I had before the world existed. Because coming out of that and having to take on the form of humanness and live in a body that was confined to time and space and flesh was a real downgrade for Jesus. I mean, that's a step down. And yet we know because of his great love, he said, because I love you so much, I'm going to take this step. I'll take on this form. I'll take on looking like you. I'll suffer the temptations you suffer. I'll feel the pain you feel, but I won't succumb to sin. And Paul the Apostle wrote for us, He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is relationship. This is powerful stuff. This is the kind of understanding, and I'm not saying I have it all. I'm just saying when I come to these things and collide with them in my thoughts, and then collide with them in relationship with the body of Christ and with God himself, it changes the way I see what's going on in the world. It helps me interpret what's happening out there. One of the downfalls for vacation, for me, this might be for other guys too, but we've not had, you know, mainstream television in our home for over 30 years. You look at me and say, where's that guy been? He doesn't even know what's going on in the world. Well, when I get into a hotel room, I know what a remote control is. And I only languish that there aren't more rooms in our hotel room because it would be good if Peggy didn't have to be in the same room. Because when she's in the same room, I can't watch stuff. You know, she wants to watch stuff. I I lose control. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? The remote control. How did we ever live without one? And I am amazed that the last room we were in, I turned it on, and it was on channel 131-289. I thought, I didn't even have time in a day to find go through that many numbers. Right? Click, 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 click. But it didn't matter how far I went, which direction, there was nothing on. It's horrible. There's just nothing there of real value. Unless you want to buy something. That's there. They're selling everything on there. Amazing. But if you're watching the news all the time, I tuned into some news channels and thought, this is not a good diet for my mind. This is not a good diet for my spirit, man. Uh, These things have gone on since the beginning of time, right? The disasters and the storms and the things and the people problems and killing. uh, We just have better news coverage now. And we can get it from every part of the world in minutes. 
And they'll stick somebody in a helicopter and fly them out to the site, and we're going to live from here. You know, you, uh, I don't want to know that much. But it just bombards. And I begin to interpret the world through that. I'd rather sit on that lonely stretch of beach by myself and look at that, that sunset, that constancy of the ocean that he just spoke, and it's obeyed him ever since. The only thing that's ever disobeyed him ever since then was us. He gave us the ability to say no to him, and many of us do. And that's what generates the news most of the time. You know, while we're on this side of our head, we're, as mankind, we're saying, look how brilliant we are. Look how, look how much we've done. And, and over here, we, all we do is report to one another about how many of each other we can kill and hurt, maim, steal from, and have problems with, and corrupt nations. And, but look how much we know. We should just make up our minds. Double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Bring those views together and say, you know what, let's, let's talk about it truthfully from the biblical perspective. We're corrupt. We're untrainable. We're, we're incorrigible to a degree. And Jesus says, I'll step in and make a way for them where there's no other way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Took on the form of flesh, dwelt among us. We touched Him. We ate with Him. We handled the Word of life. And he says, I want to be your best and closest friend. And I am the one who was in the beginning. The one, the capital O. I have more, but we're out of time. Maybe I'll get another chance to preach in this church again. Let me just share verse 3. You know how preachers do. They close two or three times. And now in closing, 15 minutes later, John 1, 3. I thought I'd make it to 5. <clears throat> All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We would like to give ourselves credit for creations and finding out things. In fact, the Bible says it's a... It's a it's the glory of God to conceal the matter, but it's the glory of man to find it out. God's always known it. We discover it. Go, Look what we figured out. Oh, he's just sort of applauding us as we make our way into the next generation. Look at what they finally got to. You know. Hey, we got a used, used car on the moon kind of thing. You know, and Look what we did. Yay. God's going, they could have had so much more. But nothing that exists. Now, that's, this is, for me, a deep thinking process. To stop sometime, just plant somewhere, even if you close your eyes, and say to yourself, nothing that exists was made without Jesus. Nothing. Let your mind go. Sun, moon, stars, planets, trees, animals, matter stuff. You say, well, he probably didn't make the carpet. Well, let your mind go further. Say, well, maybe he's not responsible for that pattern, but he's responsible for getting us to the place where we knew how to do what we did, and we made it, and somebody else's lesser creativity than his <laughs> decided that. But we couldn't have gotten there if he hadn't made everything in the beginning, and how did he do it? He just spoke. And Jesus is the co-creator, if you will. All things were made through him. 
verse 10, same chapter. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. I told you we'd go back to Colossians 1, verse 16. We read 17 last, where he was, he was before all things, and in him all things consist. The verse just ahead of that says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. We just finished the book of Hebrews. And I recall the first couple of verses in Hebrews, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time passed to the fathers by the prophets, as in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus. Let me give you 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, and what's the New American Standard Bible. It says this, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. It's easier for me. I have it written out in front of me. But if you'll look at it later, your version might be different. The New King James is very different than this. But the New American Standard Bible, there's one God. We exist for him. In other words, it was by his will, it was by his design, it was by his desire that he said, I want this to be in place. And so the writer says, we exist for him. We are his creation. You've made something in your life. You've created something out of something else or taken a bunch of things and made them. You've created something. You say, this. I decided in my will I wanted this to happen, so I, I did this. I made this thing. Whether it was a cake or a house, it won't matter. You made something. And so you could say, by your will, it was decided that you wanted it to come into being. And says, this one God, the Father, we exist for him. We are his desire. It goes on to say, and we have one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, right? Everything's created through him. And we exist through him. Through him. The word in the Greek is dia, which for you and I, we could quickly change that to put a V in front of it, via. You want to go somewhere, I want to go via. I want to go by way of. I want to go this route. I just did 3,800s of via <laughs> in the last three weeks, right? It, it's a method. It's a way. And it says we exist via, dia, through the route of Jesus. We exist for God because of his will, but the way we exist is through Christ. They're deep thoughts for me. And I want to remind myself when I'm having these thoughts that I come to this all by faith. Because reason won't go far enough. Intellect can't grasp it. In fact, I have to work at abandoning doubt 
when it shows up. He says, come on, can that really be? He says, wait a second. I'm abandoning that doubt. I need to move away from any confusion that the enemy would like to bring to my mind. So, well, how is that possible? That sounds so much like the question in the Garden of Eden. Well, did God say? You know, a point of faith comes to you and your, and your heart leaps and says, oh, I just want to embrace that. Confusion comes and doubt. The enemy comes to sow seeds of corruption. Say, I'm going to reject those things. I'm going to reject the supposed need for scientific proof. And I'm just going to believe. And then you might find yourself written in the addendum to Hebrews chapter 11. The chapter, the faith chapter. Where the three Hebrew children that we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, well, scientifically, let's see, if it heats the furnace seven times hotter and uh, we get thrown in there, it could be trouble. Now, they chose to believe first. They said, God can deliver us from your furnace. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve some other thing that's calling itself God. Because there's only one true God. So our faith is in him. And however that takes us, we'll take that. And then they went for a stroll in the furnace because faith sustained them, not science, not intellect, not I know more than God. No, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God and still is God. And everything was made by Him and through Him. Everything is holding together because He decided it will. And the day He decides it won't, it won't. I mean, we would just be nothing. Poof. And God didn't decide to make something out of something that was already there. This is another piece of theology that's important for us to understand. God did not say, well, gee, this looks pretty good, but I think I'll take it and rehash it, make uh, different planetary systems. He was there. If you can explain how God was there by himself in the beginning, before anything existed, then you're one up on me. Because that one I have to approach by faith. I just have to accept that he loved me enough and he loves you enough to put it down in here for us to understand and to transmit it from generation to generation verbally and then written and then canoned into a complete set of scriptures for us to reveal himself to us and say, I love you. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the word. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father as that becomes through me. Our choice must be Christ every day. Our first choice must be Christ to become saved. And that's the wording that we use in the church, to become saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from separation from God. Saved from destruction eternally. Because we are separated from him by our sin. It happened with Adam and Eve, and it's happened to every individual since then. It wasn't our choice. We didn't dream it up. It's in here. It's recorded for us. And God says, I don't want to be separated from my creation any longer. Jesus, go and make a way where there's no way. And he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'll make a way back for them. That they have to come by faith and trust him and say, Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for enduring such a horrible death that I could be in relationship with you, the living word. Thank you for allowing me to come and ask you to forgive my sin and make me new. If you've never done it, you need to do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We don't put it off till tomorrow. 
We never know if tomorrow will be for us, right? So in closing, let me do this, and I really am closing. (laughs) Some of you are ready to take a nap on me. Because I know, believe me, after three weeks of vacation, I know what naps look like. (laughs) (laughs) They say, well, we're here. What do you want to do? I go, that bed's looking pretty good right there. (laughs) I'm going to be the lumberjack. Saw a few logs here for a minute. Um, I want us to have two opportunities here to do something. One is, if you've not asked Christ, if you've never really leveled the playing field and said, now I get it, intellect or no, I have to come by faith. I have to cast aside everything else I've been taught or thought and realize that it's real simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I need to allow him into my heart. And I've kept him out long enough. So I want to pray with you to do that. Two, for us who are already have already made that step, we've already come to that place where Christ is not just our Savior, but He's our Lord. I'm, I'm thinking of earlier when Rob was leading us through needing to get rid of bitterness and forgiveness and unforgiveness. How do you know? One of the six tests of how to know you've really forgiven somebody, number six. Don't bother you with the other five. But number six, just this one this morning. How do I know if I've really forgiven that person and let them go? How do I know if I've released that bitter point in my life? Number six. I know I'm holding up a one. I'm not that silly. Number six. Jesus said, you'll pray for them. Pray for them. He says, pray for them that despitefully use you. But you will pray for them and you will pray blessing upon them. You'll pray in their favor. You'll pray for their benefit. You won't pray, God, make them know I forgive them. That's not the prayer. The prayer is, Lord, bless them. Make their ministry great. Make their life fulfilled. Let them come into the fullness of relationship. You will bless them. That's what Jesus said. So I want to encourage you as we're praying to take that same name you said a while ago, I forgive whatever that name was. And now, kick it up a notch and say, I want to know I'm really forgiven. I want to know the bitterness is gone, Father, and this is how I'm going to prove it out. Number six of the six is I'm going to pray for them to be blessed, and I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Okay, let's bow our heads. Lord, we bow our heads because we really want to show the significance in our posture that we're not arrogant. We don't stand up in front of you and expect you to do something for us, but we humble ourselves because your word says if we'll humble ourselves that in due time you will lift us up. Lord, we acknowledge this morning you're God, we're not. You're the creator, we're the creation. And we're to bring glory back to you and honor. Lord, there's some here this morning that would like to ask you by praying this simple prayer, and I invite you to pray it with me and say this, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you are the Savior. You really are the way, the truth, and the life. You preexisted everything, and you came to demonstrate the Father's love 
I receive you today as my Savior and Lord. I ask you to forgive my sin. I've held you out long enough. I thought I could keep you away from me. But you have pursued me with your great love. And I open my heart, my arms, and my, my whole life to you now. Jesus, come in. Come take up your life in me. Bring me to the fulfillment of what you created me for. I ask it in your name. And as we sang earlier, I surrender. I surrender everything to you. Take me at my word today. As, as untrustworthy as I have been, Lord, today, take me at my word and help me to live for you. Now, Christians, lift up that name. Pray for that person right now. Speak them by name and say, Lord, I bless so-and-so in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for them to be brought to fullness. I pray for them to be blessed. I pray that they will find fulfillment and joy. Father, I pray the relationship with you will be extensive and deep. Lord, that they'll be successful in their pursuit of you. Father, I have released them and now I bless them in Jesus' name that they could become all that you've made them to be. Lord, that they will not come up short in any way. God, I pray that they'll be blessed financially. I pray that they'll be blessed in their physical health. Pray that they'll be blessed in their relationships and in their family. God, that you will exalt them in public and make them an open show of your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your kindness. Thanks for letting me come and preach here. I hope you'll invite me back.